first and foremost, before we can even get out of fight or flight, we have to start becoming a partner with our brain and body and not fighting it because until we become a partnership, then we'll never be able to get out of fight or flight because as long as we're fighting ourselves, we're reaffirming the stress cycle over and over again. So that's, that's the first is just that shift in understanding because that is the very foundation of any other type of healing being possible. This interview with Ashley DiLello could change your life. In this episode, Ashley and I talk about the incredible power of the brain. When Ashley was 13 and had a passion for dancing, she was faced with what was deemed as a terminal diagnosis. She was told by doctors that she could never dance again, that she wouldn't live long enough to get married or have children, and that she wouldn't make it past her teenage years. Ashley refused to take this and accept this as the trajectory of her life. She left the hospital and it set her on a path to discover her way through healing her body with the power of her brain. She is so passionate about our ability to impact our lives through our mental status. She coaches thousands of clients all over the world on how to do this. Ashley is the creator of Bio-Emotional Healing, a technique based in neuroscience where you literally change the way that your brain processes. This can not only lead to massive healing from challenges, adversity, and traumas in our past, whether they're physical or emotional, but are things that you can literally use every single day, no matter what you're going through in your life, whether it's something small, like challenges with the children, or something big like anxiety or panic attacks. In this episode, she shares two incredible tangible tools that you can use at any moment in any day for free. Enjoy. Welcome, Ashley DiLello. I am so excited. I have been waiting for this day to film this podcast with you and share your story and most importantly, share your tools. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yes, I'm so excited. You know, a lot of people listening may have seen you on Dancing with the Stars or on So You Think You Can Dance. Uh, You've got this incredible stage presence. You are such an amazing performer. It's so neat that you do that with Ryan. But what I fell in love with you, Ashley, about was really your story and your your ability to get through challenge and um, persevere, you know, on top. And I know that that's what you do on your platform. You talk about that we all have, I love, you, you use the word challenges and adversity. I think, you know, in some instances, we use the word trauma. And I think as soon as you say trauma, um, some people turn off because they don't want to have a victim mindset. But the fact of the matter is, is that we all experience, whether it's trauma, challenge or adversity, whether it be small or big every day in our lives. And so the things that you talk about and the things that you do can really help women in every sense of the word, um, get through these hills and mountains and kind of navigate them and not feel like they're alone. Yeah, absolutely. And as I know, we'll dive into, obviously I've had two completely two life altering health experiences. Um, that took me to the depths of my soul and my strength and my resilience and brought me to my work in the brain, which is, you know, what we'll talk about today, which is what I actually really, why I love the brain so much is that aside from our different personality, our personalities, our strengths, our intellect, you know, are just things that are innate to us. We all have this incredible brain that functions the same. Like unless you have true brain injury or illness, all of us have this incredible brain that truly can be uh, so powerful in our life, not every single day and going after our dreams and goals, but very, very much so when we are in our challenges and adversities and we just haven't been taught how to use it to Mm -hmm. our advantage. And that's why I love um, my work being rooted in it because people suddenly realize that aside from all their other strengths or weaknesses, they can be incredibly powerful in their lives because of this, this brain that each of us have. It's so true. You know, there's those stories of, you know, something like the four minute mile, right? So like it couldn't be broken. Nobody could beat whatever the the record was for the mile at the time until one person did it. And once one person did it, then it was like person after person after person, like we truly are limitless. And it's when people like you stand up and remind us of those superpowers that we all have 
that it's like, okay, wait, maybe I can do this. So let's start right away. You know, you were 13, you were given an awful diagnosis and you said, no, I'm not going to accept this. So tell me about that moment. Tell me about what was going on in your life as a 13 year old girl. And what was your diagnosis? And my life changed overnight. I, I was dancing five hours a day. You know, my nickname was energizer bunny. I always loved life. I love dance. I love school. Like I, life was fantastic. And then overnight, everything changed and I was fighting for my life and nobody could figure me out. It was, and that was the scariest piece of all of it. Um, was just not having like a plan. And I think everybody can relate to that, of that type of uncertainty and just tell me what I can do and tell me what this is going to look like. And not only did no one be able to diagnose me, but they, they did, they said I had a rare viral infection that they couldn't diagnose. They couldn't treat. My body was clearly dying, shutting down. And I was 13, I was 13 and I was in one of the top hospitals in the nation and the doctor came in and I, I knew right away, he was so somber, just the entire presence. And he pulled up one of those, um, you know, the, oh gosh, those little chairs. I can't even think about stools. Like they roll. Right. And it, his, the office was so sterile. It was like the whole environment just fit this news that I was about to receive. And he took this deep breath and he just told me, you need to accept that you're not going to live past your teenage years. And he didn't stop there. You're never going to dance again. You'll you'll never be able to get married or have kids. And the sooner you accept this, the sooner you know you'll be able to come to peace with your reality. Right? That's it. Like that's it. And I, I in that moment, I mean, I'm 13. It's like, what has happened to my life? How is this all of a sudden my life? You're telling me my life's coming to an end. I need to accept this. There's nothing you can do. And I remember in that moment, I mean, the wind was completely knocked out of me. What, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, and shock and disbelief. And I credit my mom for giving me space um, to decide how I wanted to respond. I, I, I know my mom was like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I thankfully came from a woman who, you know, is, is a fighter and not just decides, okay, whatever you say is, is the reality, but she gave me that space. And I remember just really looking at, okay, am I, what do I do with this information? And in that moment, it became the most defining moment of my life because I, I did, I looked at him and I said, I don't accept that. I don't. And I, you know, they send in a psychologist to talk to me because you're obviously crazy. For that's not right. Accepting this that's right. That this person gave you that. That's right. Yeah. You know, okay. and I remember, so I'm, you know, again, I'm 13 and now another expert's coming in to talk to me. And I remembered looking at the psychologist and saying, listen, nobody knows I'm dying more than me because I can feel it. I can feel it. I, I, this body is so foreign to me all of a sudden I can feel how sick I am, but I also feel inside that if I just accept that I'm dying, then all chances of survival are gone. Mm -hmm. and, and in that moment we left the hospital. I had no idea what we were going to do, how we were going to fix it. But I just knew that if I didn't believe that there was possibility of me living, there wouldn't be possibility of me living. And of course I had no idea then that eventually my whole life's work would be rooted in the brain. But even then, you know, I was tapping into how powerful what we believe is in that mind body connection. And it really is true. Whether we believe we can or can't, we will ultimately be right. Totally. And that just floored me that yeah, you can tell me I'm dying. You can tell me you don't know how to treat me and you're not sure, but you, you don't get to, in my mind, play God and just all of a sudden tell me this is it. There's no chance. Accept it. We were made more powerful than that. Yeah. I can't, it, I mean, so many things are going through my head. Like one is just, I feel like the time has shifted and maybe it's just my lens and my bubble that I live in. But I really do believe that the time has shifted where we sit as patients and wait for this authoritative doctor figure to tell us our diagnosis and our prognosis. Like nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. There's, there's science and there's textbooks and there's like following what typically happens. 
And then there's these medical miracles all the time. And who's to say what causes that? So, you know, I love that your mom gave you space. And I'm so curious what was going through your head at that time that, that made you stand up for yourself. Cause as a 13 year old girl, I could easily see myself slipping into like victim mentality. Like, oh my God, poor me, I have this thing. And now I'm just going to sit in this hospital bed and die. Like what went on in your head in that moment? Yeah. I, it's so funny. Cause now at my age and I meet other 13 year olds and I kind of have that same kind of like, oh my gosh, wow. I grew up instantaneously. I, I will say that I was, I was always born with this just love for life. And then, um, like a determination, not just with excellence, like in my academics, but dance, you know, and, and working hard and, and having goals and, and just having this dream and vision, for my life. And I was always someone who was driven, which I think, you know, was a gift from God to help me also go through this um, journey at such a young age and have to define that. But it was, I think ultimately it was, I, I did love life and I refused to just live it for only 13 years. And it was a gift to love something so deeply that I did at that time with dancing, as much as it was also my greatest heartache to lose it for six years and then, you know, had an amazing career and then lose it again. <laughs> it, it was also such a strength because as much as I wanted to live, I was like, I will dance again. I don't, you know, I will dance again. And that was the thing that they said, absolutely. If I even survived, I'd never have the physical strength or endurance to, to dance like I did, but it was like, that was such a huge driving force. And it was a gift that I loved something so deeply. And I absolutely recognize that it's a gift to have a passion like that. Mm -hmm. Um, that 13, that was, that felt part of my soul. That felt part of why I was created. And, and that was a huge driving force to just not, not only give up on life, but give up on the thing that I in large part, large part felt created to do. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was huge for me. And, you know, I, I believe in God. I believe there's plans for our lives. And, um, I just felt deep in my soul that God didn't create me to die at 13. I just felt that it, and that was also huge, huge because people have also, also asked me, well, how come you didn't accept that? And I'm like, I, I really feel that if that was really what was going to be my life? Because sadly that is some people's lives, right? We lose children. We lose teenagers. We, we lose young people all the time, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and through illness, right. Um, and accidents and so forth. But I just deep down in my soul, like my spirit was like, no, this that was not the end of your story. And sometimes it was just literally holding on to that, that nobody else could feel or see, but me right in, in spite of gosh, how sick I got to where I couldn't even lift a finger. I looked, you know, I had 90 pounds. I'd lost most of my hair. I mean, I was yellow from my liver shutting down. I mean, I was about as close to death as you can. I mean, I would ache in exhaustion from just laying still. Like it took too much energy to just be alive. It was, it was scary. And so there was no evidence that I was going to survive this for for years, but I just had this deep feeling inside that I could, and I would, and I was created for more than what I was currently going through. So that Thank was huge God. too. Thank God that you had that faith. So what happened after? So you guys left the hospital. Yeah. You so fired, you fired that man. I did. Uh, I, him and many others that I told could shove their diagnosis where the sun didn't shine. I literally did want to tell a doctor that, um, thankfully I was also born a bit of a spitfire, um, which has served me well. Um, it, long story short for about two and a half years, I was tested about everything you can think of. And this was 26 years ago. We did, we did not have access to functional doctors, holistic medicine, at all the way we do now. It was like voodoo, you know, and I come from a Western uh, medical family, which, you know, has its place. Absolutely. But after two and a half years of going to the top hospitals, being tested, everything poked and prodded and really just sent home um, to die. 
that's when we started to seek, you know, alternative um, solutions, which again, at that time was like, you're going to like a dreadlock person burning totally. incense, crystals, you know? All crystals, you know, it was way more out there than what people see and understand today, you know, but we were willing to do anything. And aside from that, before we found any answers on how to treat my physical body, my mind and my will to live uh, kept me alive I, and my faith. And that's when I really started to understand the intricate mind-body connection because there, there were days, many nights, I was afraid to go to sleep, afraid that if I surrendered that just conscious will to live, my body was just done. My body was tired. And that's when I learned, you know, our body can have limitations sometimes, but our mind does not. Mm-hmm. And I just kept willing it to live and to heal and to fight in my immune system. And so that kept me alive. And that of course was the beginning of, of my work. But then, you know, we found, um, we found practitioners that could just help me support my body and my immune system. And we changed my diet and, you know, started to understand how powerful nutrition was to give my immune system all the strength and capacity it could to fight this viral infection. And I used homeopathic medicine and supplements. And, you know, it was again, 26 years ago and like, what are you doing? And, uh, but step-by-step piece by piece, it was a six year like journey to where, I've really felt like, okay, I'm back in my life. Four and a half years of fighting between life and death, which hardwired my nervous system into fight or flight, as you can understand. And I didn't understand that until 20 years later when I went through my second health journey, but it was a miracle. It was so gradual. I, you know, walking from my bedroom to the bathroom, to one house, to around the block, to then going back to the dance studio after six years and dancing again. And now I'm a, like a woman instead of a teenager, you know, I'm almost 20 years old. And that's another story of how powerful our brain is that I'll talk about that. I was able to come back and, and to have the success in my career. I did when I was out during the most important years in any professional athlete or dancer performer, um, through your teenage years, you know, into age 20. And, then we had an amazing career, my husband and I, and uh, were able to be finalists on So You Think You Can Dance, which was just so miraculous to go from not being able to lift a finger to dancing 15 hours a day and then headlining a Broadway show and, um, you know, being on shows like Dancing with the Stars. And it was just, it was so incredible. And I felt like I was at the top of the mountain and, and then I was able to have my daughter, which I was also told I'd never have children. And it's just like this, wow, it's all here. It's been such a journey, such a journey. This is it. Like I'm at the pinnacle. And then, (laughs) and then I went through an even harder. Yes. And uh, I went, I had a second hip surgery two, six years ago and uh, it failed and launched my whole body into chronic pain. And I went from an elite athlete and a professional dancer to struggling to walk to nerve pain throughout my whole body, struggling. I couldn't even hold my daughter, this, this priceless child I had waited for. I couldn't even hold a book, you know, and now I'm being told again that my life's over the rest of my life. I'm a chronic pain patient diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic regional pain syndrome, interstitial cystitis. Like it was so deja vu. And then living in that type of pain, of course, started to have ramifications on my health because you're in so much stress. You're not sleeping. And it was just like something new week after week. And I know people can feel like that when you're like, oh my gosh, what's next and what's next. And here I am again, doctors are saying, this is my life now. I'll never dance again. I'll never live a normal active life. I need to accept this. I had a doctor even tell me it was only downhill from here. And I know, can you, like, I can't make this stuff up, you know, literally told me I'm not getting any younger. It's only downhill from here. I mean, and then good luck, you know, sent me home with a fibromyalgia pamphlet. And again, two and a half years of trying everything, everything, even in holistic and regenerative, I did like over 200 types of injections, you know, cause I'd already been through my first rodeo. So I'm trying everything under the sun, nutrition and supplement and anti-inflammatory and I'm not healing. I'm not getting better. And after several years of that, I mean, I had one night where I just 
I was at the lowest point I've ever felt deeper than even when I was, was dying. I mean, I was just in so much pain. It was hell, so much stress on my family. We were nearly losing our home because we just spent so much on my health and all these injections, nothing was covered by insurance. It was all out of pocket. My husband and I lost our professional career. Mm. I can't take care of my own daughter, which is just like a mom guilt to a whole other level. And it's just like, this is hell. And I've tried everything. And I felt like, I was like, what is left? Like what is left? And that was the night where I met my greatest determination. And I thought, okay, if my nervous system flipped a switch into pain, I'm going to figure out how to flip it back. And that's when I dove into the brain and the nervous system and pain science and figured, realized all pain comes from the brain, but also it wasn't just that failed surgery. It was my illness when I was younger, the impact on that, on my nervous system, how that had wired it and all these other experiences in my life that now, you know, my system was just in high alert 24 seven. And I had to figure out how to heal that and rewire those pain pathways. My life depended upon it. And that's what was pretty motivating (laughs) and led me to what's this process? What nobody has a process. How do you really do this in a way that your system actually feels safe to let go, even while living in pain, even while living in this challenge, this hardship, right? Whatever it is, because people are like, well, how do I get my nervous system out of survival when I'm in survival? Right. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like you're struggling to fall asleep because you don't want to let go because you're in charge of keeping yourself alive. Yeah. So, and and other people, right. Whether it's a health challenge or just a life challenge or a relationship challenge, it's like, but I'm in survival. I'm in fight or flight. This is awful. This is hard. How then am I supposed to get my system out of that hardwiring when I'm living in this situation? And I was like, how am I supposed to get out of fight or flight when I'm in unbelievable pain 24 seven? And that's where I'm like, there's gotta, there has to be a process, a process to partner with your system while still in the challenge to rewire so that I have a chance to heal, or you have a chance to navigate that experience differently. Right. And it doesn't lead to crippling anxiety or PTSD or depression. Like it's the same because whether it's a physical or emotional or mental challenge, the root of everything is the brain and nervous system. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I realized. And they're just so intricately connected since no system works alone. And that led me to the creation of my work by emotional healing and, um, healed my body. And and here I am now. Well, of course I want to know all about it. How do you get your body out of fight or flight when you're in that state? Yeah. Well, first it's a process, right? And obviously the work that I do with my clients is a nine week in depth process, but one of the most important shifts that I want people to understand is that when you're in this challenge, this struggle, whether people feel they feel stuck. They feel stuck in their body or they feel stuck in their mind and their emotions, right? Whether it's more rooted in a physical or mental or emotional. And therefore most people feel like their mind's their enemy, their body's their enemy. And it certainly can feel that way, right? When you're have crippling anxiety or depression or just limiting beliefs and fear, you can absolutely feel like your brain is your worst enemy, Mm -hmm. right? And when you're sick and you've got pain and you have health challenges, you absolutely feel like a prisoner in your own body and you, and that it's your enemy and it's limiting your life. And I absolutely have felt that to the depths of my soul, not just physically, but of course, emotionally, I I had PTSD. I'd realized I'd been caring. I'm a fighter, but that didn't change the fact that I was afraid to sleep. Right. And I lived that way for four years. So I know what it's like to truly feel stuck and to feel the ramifications physically, mentally, emotionally. But one of the biggest paradigm shifts that even opens the way to get out of fight or flight is understanding that it's not our enemy. It is just hyper protecting us Mm. and it's taking all of our life into consideration on how to protect us. And the brain does that through a stress response, right? It feels like punishment 
right? Whether that stress response again is emotional or physical, but it's protection. The Mm -hmm. brain is hardwired to protect us, protect us physically, protect us emotionally. And it learns through our life how to do that and how to communicate to us and how to keep us from doing something or what it feels as a perceived threat or when something's wrong in our body. And whether that's again, physical, or we've had challenges in our life that have deeply impacted us emotionally, because they do, no matter how strong you are or how much of a fighter you are, we're not robots. And so we're all deeply impacted by the challenges and adversities and that stays, that stays in our system, that stays in our brain's data bank. And, and especially when we don't really process them through, which most of us don't, cause we're surviving that challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when we're to the other side, it's like, well, I don't want to go back and process all of that. Like, let's just go back to life. But that impact is still in our system. It's stored in our body and the brain's now looking at that on how to protect us. And that's why so many people, it's like, it's never one thing, but it's like, okay, then this happened. And then all of a sudden my anxiety just went through the roof. Right. Or then this event and this event, and then I'm just, I'm depressed. I've never felt like this in my life or like Mm -hmm. I've challenged, my body has struggled, but then it was just, it crashed. Right. Because it's, our whole life. And that's what I had to take into account. So I want first and foremost, before we can even get out of fight or flight, we have to start becoming a partner with our brain and body and not fighting it. Because as long as we feel like we're enemies and we're fighting our brain or we're finding our body, we're perpetuating fight or flight within ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So much sense. Yeah. And that's hard because that's really how it feels, right? When you're having an anxiety attack, you're not like, oh, I love my brain. This is fantastic. Like, (laughs) I see you're just so supportive. No, it it feels like punishment and you want to get out of it. You you want a new body, you want a new mind. But if you can instead see that it is trying so hard to communicate through to you and protect you from some perceived threat that is rooted in past experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can start seeing that, okay, why is my brain working so hard to protect me? Like from this, why is it creating the stress response? What are the pieces? What is, and, and starting to be that more observer of your stress and ask the questions and connect with your body and actually ask the questions instead of fight it, shut it down. I hate it. You know, I hate my body. I want a new one. I hate my mind. It doesn't work. When we, the first and foremost is to say, okay, it's protecting me from what? Let's ask those questions because until we become a partnership, then we'll never be able to get out of fight or flight because as long as we're fighting ourselves, we're reaffirming the stress cycle over and over again. So that's, that's the first is just that shift in understanding because that is the very foundation of any other type of healing being possible. So true. You know, I think I've heard you talk about this on your platform too. Like we are literally hardwired for negativity and stress Mm -hmm. and it's because our nervous system is brilliant, right? It has not changed since back when we were cavemen and women. And so that hardwiring for negativity is so important because it could mean something like, oh my gosh, don't eat those berries. Don't go in that bush the berries will kill you, or there's a snake there that'll kill you. Like we had to remember those things more than the positive things for survival. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a whole separate topic, but I I know that's why it's so important to surround ourselves with, you know, inspirational things and motivational things, because if we hear 10 negative comments about ourselves and one good thing, we're of course going to, we're going to pay attention to 10. Um, But I love what you're saying. And kind of what I'm hearing is that you know, it's this stack, it's this stack of challenges, adversity that we go through in our entire lives. We're masters of, um, diverting our attention and distracting ourselves, right. Whether it's into work or play or family, or I think, especially as moms, it's so easy to just like wrap it up in a bow and put it over here. Cause now I'm going to focus on this, but it's not done. It's not closed up. It's just waiting to pop out again, probably Mm -hmm. at the worst time. And so 
what's important is to lean in. I actually just finished. I read it twice because it was so good. This book by Michael Singer, The Untethered mm-hmm. Soul. Have you listened? Have you read that? Uh-huh. I have. Yeah. It, just when you're talking about, he talks so much about like to be the observer and to kind of like step back in your own mind and in your own life and like watch what's happening and ask the questions. Why am I feeling like this? Why is this uncomfortable rather than to like close it and move on? Because the answers lie in leaning into that. And that's how we clear it out in the moment. Is that, is that kind of what you're you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like creating this space because the brain is, is so fast and the wiring and those neural connections, like that's why we're habitual creatures, right? We, we think the same way we have before we react the same way we have before, because that, that time between a stimulus, whether it's someone else or your own thought or a physical symptom, and then a response is just glued together. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so becoming the observer is starting to create some space because it's only in that space that we can change that stress response, that we can actually understand the deeper roots of where it's coming from. So, um, where I really like the word observer versus awareness, because awareness is a really big buzzword now just in the healing space regardless, is an observer doesn't judge or criticize because that's what, especially as women, mm-hmm. we are fantastic at doing. <laughs> men too, <laughs> but men too, but women just especially. And it just is, we're all our worst critics. If you're a human being, you're your worst critic, but we're especially really good at it. And especially when we become moms, because that again, now you're, you're criticizing yourself as a mom too. And and that's a whole new special arena. Um, but we're really good at like, Oh, I'm aware of this, but now, man, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible mom. I'm so weak. Oh my gosh. What's wrong with me? Why can't I change this? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we can become aware, but then we're now even more critical right? We're more critical of ourselves. And then we feel even less because how come I can't just get over this? Why can't I heal? Why can't I change this? You know, why do I keep doing this when I don't want to? And so the observer not only starts to create space, but it's, it's neutral. It's let me just see, let me ask questions. Let me listen, not make judgments, not attach to it, but seek to understand, right? Which is also means we start to actually have some compassion for ourselves. Mm-hmm. compassion for how we've been impacted by life, compassion for our body and what it's going through, right? Our, our soul and our mind and everything that it's experienced in its life. Cause the brain has a data bank of all of that. So we don't give ourselves time, right? Again, that's why we end up suppressing or putting away. It's like, I don't have time to deal with this. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing that just really makes the rest of our life so hard, but we'll sit down and talk to someone that we care about if they're going through something and we'll listen, but we don't step back and sit with ourselves and not, not in a compassionate way. We're really good at doing it in a critical way. Right. And, but not in a compassionate way of, let me understand why this is happening. What are all the pieces? How do I start asking those questions? How do I start processing And that's one of the most important things is part of that observer and creating that space is giving yourself space to feel. Mm -hmm. And that's where I want to be really clear when I, I don't really like positive and negative thinking. I like empowering and disempowering, but with the understanding that it's not black and white, we are going to experience all emotions as part of being a human. And that is something I didn't do when I was sick as a teenager. I did not allow, um, if I had a hard day, if I wanted to cry, feel bad for myself. I mean, I, I had lost the thing I loved to do. I was a teenager who was spending her, you know, teenage years sick fighting for my life. I was not allowed to have a hard day right? I wasn't allowed to feel sorry for myself. It was like, you know, you got to fight, you got to be a fighter. And and that had its time, but that's how I put over the whole experience. Mm-hmm. And all those emotions didn't go away. I just stored them, mm-hmm. stored them in my body. And that was a huge part of not just, I got to deal with what I'm going through as an adult, but oh my gosh, I've been carrying sadness, grief, anger, fear, frustration, 
for 25 years, mm-hmm. right? Within my soul. And it doesn't mean I'm an angry person. It doesn't mean even that I'm a victim. It doesn't mean that I feel sorry for myself. It means that I'm a human who has gone through challenges and I'm going to feel certain emotions. And when we start to actually just allow ourselves to feel them compassionately, they actually process through us and out of us. It's when we judge them, we criticize them, we suppress them, we attach to them that then the brain's alarm bells actually go higher around them and they create more stress in our system. So the observer not only seeks to understand, but it allows space to feel in a compassionate way that lets it actually release. I'm thinking of so many women that I know listen to this podcast right now. And so I want to have you give like, can you walk us through a tangible example? Cause I know so many women have shoved it under the rug only to feel it creep in later. So mm-hmm. walk us through yep. what an observer would look like as yeah. a, as a mom, as an adult, when this stuff comes up and you know, there was stuff in the past that you just locked away. Absolutely. Um, and I think women tend to do it more so also because we've just been given this blanket of being so emotional you know, and, uh, we don't want to do that or we don't want to (laughs) sensitive, so sensitive, right. Um, as if it's a negative thing and it can be, but here's the thing. Why do, why do so many people struggle with their emotions now more than ever? Well, again, emotions don't go away just because we don't allow them. And so our brain and our body will eventually scream to get our attention. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what we're seeing when all of a sudden, people who have felt some anxiety their whole life. Now it is every day and it is in situations. So here's an example that happened with my daughter. So whenever we feel an emotion, right, we don't have time for it. We don't have space for it. We judge it. We feel weak. So I remember one day, and I think my daughter was, I don't know, maybe five. And she just out of the blue was feeling a lot of emotions, right? Now it's not her period because she's five. Okay. Even though I think we, if any of us have girls, sometimes you're like, Oh my gosh, you have the same hormones I do already. Like what is <laughs> happening? You know, but she started to just feel emotional and kind of sad. And then I saw her immediately start judging herself for having it because she was supposed to have a friend come over, but all of a sudden now she didn't feel like playing, right? She didn't feel like playing, but then she started to feel like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? And she said stuff like I'm the worst friend, oh. right? Because now she's judging herself. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so emotional? Well, I'm the worst friend. My friend won't want to be around me. And in my instinct, you know, my old instinct, especially after, you know, not doing this work for years was like, well, what is wrong with you? Nothing's happened. Like, it's been a good day. You have a friend coming over. Like, why are you emotional? But, you know, thankfully through this work and through my, I I was able to just kind of be the observer myself and take her aside because then her, as she was judging herself, the emotions got higher and higher and higher. Because when we do that, again, the brain's alarm bells go off around the emotion. Mm-hmm. It amplifies it. It so amplifies instead of, it. Instead of a whisper, it's a scream. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's why anxiety becomes panic attacks, right? Feeling sad goes into a depression where you don't want to get out of bed for three to five days. So I just took her aside and I said, and she was just, you know, what's wrong with me? Why just going through this as we all do. And I said, Sophia, I said, listen, these emotions could be just from something else. They don't always just come up because of what happened today. And I said, you know what? You're going to feel emotions sometimes because not just because you're a girl, but because you're a human and and we go through life and we have experiences and we have relationships and things impact us. And I said, and it's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a person, right? And giving her just that permission to have compassion and grace with herself. I just sat her on my lap. She was crying. She was upset. And obviously she was only five. So she doesn't have the complexity we do as adults, but just that allowance allowed it to process through and out of her. And then she was out of it. You know, I feel like she must've just like exhaled, like relaxed and let it go, like literally let let it go go through her and let it go. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. we, as adults, we're going to have an uprising of emotion right? Maybe because of something that just happened that day. And we want to ask in that regard, okay, 
it's people overreact because it's always triggering something from the past connected to it, right? It's never just this one thing. And that's where that observer asks questions. Why is my emotion so strong? What is this connected to in my past that is amplifying my reaction, right? Because it's, it's, it's never just one thing, right? What is connected? That's asking those questions. It's then also giving us permission that maybe, gosh, it's been a stressful month and all of a sudden it's just hitting me. And my emotions are like, deal with me because I can't hold them down anymore. And it's giving ourselves grace and compassion to sit with it and, and write it out. One of the most effective things is, is to start putting pen to paper, not in a way of journal writing that our posterity is going to read in a way that this is for you and only you. So you can actually really say what you want to say, mm -hmm. express how you want to express no judgment, no holding anything back. Give, go give yourself space to cry, to scream, to yell, have safe places in your car and your shower and your closet, whatever it is, but not judging, but just allowing like with compassion. And so sometimes writing helps you get the clarity on, okay, this happened in the past. Wow. I didn't realize that impacted me so deeply then. And that's why this situation with my husband or my boss or my, is really amplifying my reaction to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And just trying to give ourselves permission to actually validate our voice, right? By writing it out, what we really wish we could say or be heard and allowing us to actually feel our emotions and not attaching who we are to them. Mm -hmm. You can feel all types of things and that's not who you are. That's part of being a human. And I can tell you that if you can just start to do that, <laughs> Give yourself space and permission without judgment. And yes, it will take practice. I I promise you the same way with my daughter, it will, you'll learn how to process it out instead of hold on to it. And so as a busy woman, as a mom, you know, I feel like you kind of touched on it just now, but again, you know, as we're hearing these whispers throughout the day, say we're like in the thick of pick up with our kids and our kids are maybe having emotional needs and we're starting to feel it and we're triggered what do you do in that moment when maybe you feel like you can't sit with it? You can't cry in the shower. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Perfect. That's what I wanted to go to next was what's a real time tool, right? Like in the moment, because obviously creating space to feel your emotions, write out how you feel that takes, that takes another time. And you want as much as possible when you can't do it in that moment, try to find space later in that day when that you know, when it's come up. Right. But I absolutely understand. <laughs> Can't always have a breakdown <laughs> right there. Um, so there's, there's two really effective real-time tools to help calm down this emotional reaction. And it's, it's really just a heightened nervous system. Right. So one thing that we've observed in animals is that after something traumatic or challenging, right. And in animals, it's usually something that has to do with their physical survival, but what's really important to understand is scanning the brain. The brain cares just as much about our emotional well-being as it does our physical well-being. So it doesn't matter if it's a physical threat or an emotional mental one. The brain reacts similarly, right? So animals, certain animals after some type of event that heightens their nervous system, they have to physically shake. And if they don't, some animals will actually die because their system can't handle holding on to that stress. Human beings are the most adaptive creatures that exist. So we adapt and we hold on to stress and we hold on to stress and we hold on to stress. And we know eventually it leads to breakdown mentally, emotionally, physically, but we can hold on to a lot of it mm -hmm. or we think we can, right? So we can learn from animals to actually, in fact, shake because what it does, it actually activates the amygdala, the emotional part of our brain, which is where all of our fears, uncertainties, emotions are stored. And it tells it the stress has passed. We can let it go. And it's so it's, it's such an effective real-time tool. And when you know what you're doing with the intention of what you're doing, that always amplifies the outcome in the brain. And so literally just in that moment shaking, and it can be your, you know, your hands, it doesn't have to be like a whole body experience, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and like I tell my clients, you go to the bathroom and come out and do this and shake your hands. And as far as anybody knows, you're drawing your hands, right? Yeah. 
And what it does is it just with that intention, okay, let this go. Like, yes, I'm stressed. I'm seeing it. I'm acknowledging it, but we don't need to hold on to it this moment, right? With the screaming kids, this pressure, everything, you can feel it all building. That's where you explode. And then you feel even guiltier because now you've exploded at your kids and, but just shaking and saying, okay, we don't need to hold on to it right now. I'm going to address this, but we don't need to like feel it viscerally in our body to where we have so much tension, so much stress, our heart is racing. So shaking is a beautiful real time tool that you can use always. And that's another note of why I think people love to dance. I was just going to say, I picture dancing. We do a lot of music and dancing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know, obviously I love it, but if you just look at human beings, most of us love to move to music, no matter how awkward we are. And when I really learned this, I'm like, I swear, that's why all human beings and it feels healing. It feels freeing. That's why people are like, shake it out in your kitchen. But we didn't really understand that we're actually activating the emotional centers of our brain to let go. Yeah. I never knew that about the animals in the amygdala. That is fascinating. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And getting out of your amygdala gets you in your frontal lobe. So you can actually- plan the dinner that you want to make for your family, whatever it is. Think So you can actually think and, you know, not be just so honed in emotionally, which is all reactive, which is all amplifies overwhelm and stress. So shaking is, is beautiful. And when, again, when your brain knows what it's doing, it will amplify the ability to do it. Right. Versus what we just organically, I think have all felt when we're dancing. So it can be used as such a beautiful tool that doesn't take much effort, much time. Anybody can do it. And then the other that I just want to touch on is called the physiological sigh. Um, so many times in, while I'm rooted in the, my work's rooted in the brain, sometimes when your brain is running and running and running and running and so many people, that negative thought loop or that fear-based loop, it's so hard to get control of your brain, right? So in that way, shaking helps us go to physiolog- physi- our physiology first, but so does the physiological sigh. And this is a double inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth, repeated two to three times. And it's it's been proven. It's the fastest way and proven in neuroscience to offload carbon dioxide, which is what gets high in our system when we're in stress, when we're in overwhelm, when we're in overwhelm. And that's why people have panic attacks and that's why all these things happening. And animals do this as well. Animals can teach us so much um, because they they're not as adaptive. So they do things innately that we block, right? Because we just are more emotionally advanced and supposedly, (laughs) supposedly, right. Uh, It depends, Uh, but it hurts us too. Right. So double inhale is like a, right. The longer inhale in the second, and you want to try to do it from the diaphragm, right? Cause, and not so much in up in our neck, which we, we tend to do, but two to three times repeated two to three times opens up all the sacs in the lungs and offloads that carbon dioxide. And that helps calm our physiology down because if we're trying to tell ourselves, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm calm, but your system is full of carbon dioxide. Your body's like, uh, no, we're not. Okay. Because my system's telling me stress, stress, stress. And there's that constant feedback brain to body, body to brain. And so this allows the body, the physiology to calm down. Now you can better get control of the brain. Makes so much sense. Those two, even in conjunction with each other are Mm -hmm. beautiful real-time tools to use in those moments where you can't write, you can't scream, you can't cry. Yeah. But then- also you have to create that space, you know, to process later. So they both work in conjunction with each other. Those things are beautiful. I don't know why I often just picture school pickup, right? So Mm -hmm. I get three kids into my car. I'm in whatever state I'm in. They come in each in their own States. And these are literally two tools that we can do in the car. And it's funny because we often like they'll come in and it's loud and they're all talking and it's chaotic. And I turn on a fun song and like pretty soon the windows are down and we're all singing and dancing and laughing. Um, we didn't know, you know, the why behind it. So I'm going to share that with them. Now we talk about the amygdala a lot in our house. Um, because like you, I wanted, I want my kids to grow up with these tools. Like how incredible is this next generation of kiddos going to be? Yeah. If, so if, we, 
if, you know, and we're seeing it on both sides, right? We're seeing more crippling anxiety and depression than ever before. But um, within that, we're also seeing, you know, tools and things that we just didn't understand. And now we can map the brain in functional ways that we just, we never have been able to. So we're starting to understand. And my daughter, you know, she'll, cause I teach her this stuff and I'm like, you do not understand how priceless this is, mm-hmm. but sometimes she'll push me back, but then I'll hear her teaching her friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's getting in. And cause she's feeling empowered. And you know, my, she had a lot of fears and my daughter, you know, witnessed what I went through and that impacted her. She saw me not being able to walk. She saw me not being able to take care of her. You know, she saw me have breakdowns cause yeah, it was so hard. She, she saw me in pain and, and that impacted her. And I, you know, I knew that we were going to have to address that because she was two when it all started. She didn't remember her mom healthy and strong and, and so she had her own fears that then we had to work through, but teaching her that she could, and it was possible. And it's just been, it was a journey, right? Because especially being so young, you know, I can't teach her the same way I can my adult clients because she can't grasp it in that way, but she knows that she's powerful and it might not be easy and it might take time and, and life can throw us curveballs and it can be really hard, but we can rise to it and we each have that capacity. And that's just what I, I hope from anything of listening to this women, they start to feel they have hope, hope to truly be able to navigate their challenges, but also overcome them and not just survive them, but, but truly become stronger through them and to not be defined by them and that their life truly can be what they want it to be and to create. And that's not unique to me and my story. It's just that I learned how to harness that capacity that we all have. So, so good. Thank you. Thank you. And also you've gifted us all with, you know, our children are going to go through challenges and adversity and we can't control that. We can't take away their stories. That's part of their story, but we can arm them just like we can arm ourselves with these tools to help us overcome them. So absolutely. Thank you you so much. Ashley has a ton of incredible resources. We're going to make sure all of them are in the show notes. Ashley, thank you. It's always so good to be with you. Thank you for sharing all of your love and goodness. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Oh my gosh. That was so incredible. I'm so thankful for that time with Ashley. She's such an incredible human being. The amount of things that she's gone through, but dug her way out of and created tools that we can all use is so impressive. And these are the people that I always want to surround myself with. And these are the people that I will always bring to this platform because their stories are so inspirational in changing not only our our own lives, but everyone around us. If you like this episode with Ashley, which I'm sure that you did, please be sure to leave a review in whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast in. And most importantly, please share this episode with a friend. I know that we can make such a huge impact on those around us by sharing these stories with others. Thanks.